Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. As we finish up this section in Ruth, as, um, as we've been talking about Ruth and Boaz getting ready to get married, going to the chapel, and they're going to get married, and um, as Naomi, <laughs> well, Denise, you don't like my uh, play on songs there? Anyway, uh, that's before my time anyhow. Anyway, so um, go ahead and bring up the outline. I think the next slide is the outline that we've done so far. Um, Ruth, Naomi spent some time preparing Ruth, and I want to jump right in uh, to, to where we are. Uh, look down at verse 13. You know, we're at a point where Naomi tells Ruth, okay, Ruth, I'm not going to be alive forever, and I need to make sure that you're going to have yourself a husband, somebody that's going to take care of you, somebody that's going to be able, you know, to, ma- I want to make sure that you're well taken care of before I go before I leave this earth. So here's what you need to do, Ruth. You need to take a bath. You need to wash yourself. You need to put on some perfume, put on festival wedding garments, get rid of those clothes of, a, of mourning, those clothes of widow, and put on the garments of, of, of celebration. And here's what you need to do. You need to go down to where Boaz is. He's down at the threshing floor. And here's what you need to do. So she says, all that you say that for me to do, she says, that's going on what I'm going to do. So, so Ruth, she goes down to the threshing floor that night. Boaz is eating. He's getting ready to turn in for tonight. He's a, she finds him. He's asleep. She sneaks in there, and she lays herself at his feet. He, she uncovers his feet, and then she lays herself down. And that was Ruth's way of saying what? Marry me, fella. Okay? So when he got up and saw her, he, she said to put your cloak over top of me. And that was his way of accepting uh, the marriage proposal. Now, if you remember, there was, a, there was a key reason why Ruth really went out on a limb here to make the request to Boaz to marry her. Because I want you to keep in mind, and Boaz says this later on to Ruth in chapter 3, there was probably between 20 and 30 years difference between Ruth and Boaz. And so he felt that it would be somewhat improper for a man of that age difference to, be, to ask a younger lady for her hand in marriage. I mean, today, I mean, if you have a, if you have a 20-year-old girl and a 50-year-old guy asks her to marry him, uh, you think he's a creeper. And uh, he very well may be in our, in our kind of society. That wasn't Boaz's heart. But Boaz wanted to keep things on the up and up, so he never, he never proposed to Ruth, and that's why that she went and did what she did. And Boaz praised her for that, praised her for the fact that you did not go after the younger guys. You know, Ruth could have gone after the younger guys, could have been promised maybe more money, could have been promised uh, a longer marriage, because keep in mind, this is marriage number two, and so common sense says... Go for youth. If you want a longer marriage, common sense says go for youth, even though that didn't work for the first time. 
Certainly, it's not going to happen again. And so, he, uh, he says to her there in verse 13 of, of our passage, he says this. He says, Terry, this night. Do I have a slide for that? All right, keep going. Hey, there we are. Terry, this night. And this shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of the kinsman. Now remember, Boaz has already told Ruth that I will perform the, the job of a kinsman. However, there's someone that's closer to me. There's someone that's got the right of this first. That just shows the character of Boaz, doesn't it? That he is, that he is letting Ruth know that there's a person that's a closer kinsman than I am. Now, in the morning, you stay here tonight. In the morning, I will go meet with him. And if he will perform the duty of a kinsman, great for both of you. But if not, he says, but if he will not do the part of the kinsman, verse 13, uh, to thee, then I will do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. Now, we need to understand something right away. And you folks know this because to the pure, all things are pure. But you all know this. But just for clarification for those who are watching online, when Boaz tells Ruth to stay, this is not for a sexual relationship. That's not the type of character that Boaz was. And that's not what is being set up here. Okay? Uh, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But I, want to, but I want to tell you about a new concept that we're introduced to in verse 13. Because Boaz says in verse 13 to Ruth, he says, I will, If he doesn't, then I will perform unto you the part of the kinsman. Now, you could translate that this way, according to Hebrew. But if he will not do the part of the Redeemer unto you, then I will redeem you. And the concept that we're introduced here is the concept of redemption. Because that's what the book of Ruth is all about. The book of Ruth is all about redemption. Being redeemed. And the word redeemed is used 117 times in the Old Testament alone. It appeared first in Genesis chapter 48 in verse 16 in reference to Jacob. And it is such a major, major concept in the Old Testament that it appears 117 times and it only appears 122 times in the entire Bible. And so certainly the majority of the times that the concept of redemption appears, the majority of those concepts are in the Old Testament because it is a major major Old Testament concept because it really set the foundation it really set the stage for the New Testament redemption because that's what this book is all about if he will not do the part of the Redeemer Ruth then I will do the part of the Redeemer I want us to understand tonight actually what it means to be redeemed what it actually means to be redeemed. Because as I said, this is where the concept starts to come into full color. We start to see it in full practice. Folks, listen, redemption is an actual purchase. It is an actual purchase. It is a transfer of ownership. Because in this context, and in the context of redemption, it is actually a release of someone from one party to the other. Salvifically speaking, or in regards to our salvation, redemption has to do and has its foundation in the penal substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, when we say penal, we're talking about the fact that on the cross, the penalty of sin was paid for his people. We teach and we believe here what the, what the Bible teaches about the atonement and that the atonement of Jesus Christ was not a potential atonement, but the atonement of Jesus Christ was an actual atonement. It was an actual atonement. When Jesus Christ shed his blood at Calvary, it actually saved those to whom it was intended to save. It was an actual atonement. And it works in regard to redemption, penal substitution. Folks, listen. Jesus Christ was the substitute for sin. He was the one who took the judgment on himself for the crimes that you and I owed to holy God. He was the substitute. He took your place. Thus we have the idea of penal substitution. And we were by nature owner owned and property of who? Who? By nature who are you prop- who are you owned by? The God of this world, Satan. Because had you not been redeemed, where would you have gone? You'd have gone to the realm of the God of this world, Satan. And so when we are redeemed, we, our ownership is transferred from the ownership of Satan to the ownership of Jesus Christ. Now, that's in a practical standpoint. We understand from all eternity past that God, God did everything. But from a practical standpoint, the day you and I trusted Christ, we were redeemed. We were bought. A, the purchase was made at Calvary for our ownership. And what a price it was, right? What a price it was. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for who? You. You. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 24, And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for who? Many. Many. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for. Folks, listen. Jesus Christ, we need to understand this concept. Jesus Christ did not die at Calvary to make salvation possible. Okay? He did not die at Calvary to potentially save no one. Because, no, because if no one exercised their libertarian free will, then no one would be saved. Jesus did not die at Calvary to potentially save no one. Jesus Christ died at Calvary to save someone. He was the substitute. He was a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of sinners. He redeemed us. And redemption is activated by the sacrifice of Christ, by the substitution of Christ. 
And in order for redemption to happen, folks, listen, a price must be paid to appease the debt that was occurred. Because you see, when, Bo- when Boaz acted as the kinsman for Ruth, it wasn't free. He had to pay money to the family to be the kinsman. That's how it worked. And so that's why Ruth is a Ruth and Boaz are a direct correlation to Christ and the, and, and the Christian. Because just as Boaz had to pay a price to redeem Ruth, Jesus Christ had to pay a price to redeem his people. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How was all that happened? By the blood of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus paid our ransom. Jesus, we are redeemed because of the blood of Christ. Because you see, folks, redemption is a real payment. When Jesus Christ said at Calvary, it is finished, he wasn't just saying redemptive plan is finished. What was he saying? My people have been purchased. My people have been purchased. Because it's a real payment. It's a real substitution. It's a real redemption. And so when we look at the book of Ruth and we think about the fact that Ruth was redeemed, she was purchased, she now belongs to someone else. And in the same way as his people, as Christians, we've been purchased. We now belong to someone else. We belong to God. Through Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 14. And she lay at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Now Boaz is not trying to be deceitful here. But he also, but he also understands the busybody big mouths in Bethlehem. And he's trying to divert gossip he's trying to divert any false stories that may not only ruin his reputation but also the reputation of Ruth because there's one thing that you can figure out in a small community that's who's got the big mouths and those who don't right you always know those people that like to spread the gossip and so Boaz says you stay here and then tomorrow in the morning before daylight even comes because the, because the workers would have shown up early. Because let me tell you, real, let me tell you what, if, if the workers would have shown up just in the time to watch Ruth leave where Boaz was, where would it, what would have immediately have been the scandal? And that's what Boaz is trying to avoid, which is why he tells her to do what he's, what he's telling her to do. Now let's go on to point number four, the presentation. Look at verse 15. 
And he said to her, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. Boaz, she's not going to live. She's like, it's like visiting grandma's house. When you visit grandma's house, you're not going home empty-handed. Boaz was going to make sure that before Ruth left that she, was, she and Naomi were well taken care of. Uh, there, are, there are some translations that say that Boaz gave Ruth six ephahs of barley. Uh, such a number would have been ridiculous. And I'll explain to you why. There's a couple of reasons why. First of all, I want you to keep in mind that what Ruth was carrying this barley grain in. She was carrying this barley grain. Of course, the winnowing had already been performed. And she was carrying this grain in basically what was a head covering, a, a shawl. And certainly there was weight restrictions that would have been limited to that. Now, secondly, Ruth was a stout girl, probably. She had been working in the fields. She knew what it was like to work hard, and she did work hard. In fact, she, was, she gained much notoriety for her hard work. And so she was not a woman that was afraid of hard work. But an ephah is about 22 liters. And one ephah, or 22 liters, weighs about 48 and a half pounds. And so while if we have what some translations say as six ephahs of barley, Ruth would have been carrying in this head covering or in this shawl about 291 pounds. Boaz, she was a, she's quite a woman, but she probably wasn't going to carry 291 pounds of barley all the way home. MacArthur said it's probably a chihas, which was about 60 to 75 pounds, which is probably still a lot of weight but certainly more manageable in a head covering to carry 60 to 75 pounds. And so Ruth gets his barley from Ruth, from Boaz, and she's heading home. He he's wants to make sure that she's taken care of, no matter how this plays out, because he hasn't gone to visit the, the nearest kinsman yet. So no matter how this plays out, he wants to make sure that Ruth is taken care of, because folks, listen, understand he's got a lot to lose in this doesn't he because he may this this near kinsman may decide yeah i'll do it but ruth but boaz isn't concerned about that what's he concerned about he's concerned about one thing and that's that this young woman and her mother-in-law are taken care of that's why i always say to teenagers and i say to teenagers parents when they ask i don't have a lot of them asking these days so a lot of times i'll just tell them I guess because they've heard me say it for 30 years, they don't need to ask. But moms, especially moms, because moms seem to be more on target, zoned in, especially if, there's, if it's their boys. Now, daddies, they're usually zoned in if it's a little girl. If it's their girls, they're usually zoned in a little bit more than the boys, perhaps. So I'll, but but especially true for girls. Dads especially, but moms and dads. Your little girl got her eye on this punk. How does he treat his mama? How does he treat his mama? If he's disrespectful to his mama, he's going to be disrespectful to your little girl. 
Maybe not at first because he's trying to win her love and he's trying to win your approval. But believe you me, if he's disrespectful to his mama, the time is going to come. He's going Unless the Holy Spirit of God does a massive work in his heart, the time is going to come where he's going to be disrespectful to your little girl. So if your little girl has got her eyes set on this punk and he's disrespectful to his mama, then you tell that punk boy to get his giddy up and get out of here. And we see that kind of character with Boaz, don't we? He's taking care of these two women. And he's, got every, he's the one that's got everything to lose. Not these two ladies. Because he may not end up being the near kinsman. He may not get a wife out of this. He may not get property out of this. But that's not his concern. His concern is taking care of these two ladies. Men and women, that is the kind of young person that you want your young people to marry, to court and marry. You say, court, what does that mean? Ask your parents what that means. I know y'all don't. Kids don't use that terminology. I tried to use that terminology with my kids one day. They said, huh? I ain't going to court. I ain't doing anything. So just ask your parents or your grandparents what it means to court. You know what it means to court, right, right now? You're my age. You know what the word means. You know what the word means. Kevin, you all know what the word means. Absolutely. See, my man, he knows what the word means. Y'all tracking me tonight? Okay. All right. Just making sure. Just making sure. So she takes the 75 pounds of barley and she goes back home. Now, it, I think it's easy to, I think it's very fair to say that Boaz is absolutely enraptured by this young woman. But he's going to maintain character. He's going to give the near kinsman a chance. How do you think Boaz knew that there was a near kinsman? I think he probably checked. Hey, am I in line for this girl? He probably checked. Because he was enraptured by this young lady. Moms and dads, that little boy that's got his eye on your little girl, you better make sure that he's enraptured with her. That he'll fall over himself to make her happy, make her pleased, make her life better, make her life good. Now, of course, we all understand the part about being a Christian. I mean, that's an obvious thing. I mean, if it's not a Christian, it's not even an option. So we all understand that that's a given. But we're talking about the practical things of life as well after that. So Ruth takes the barley and goes home. Verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? Now, Naomi is not asking a question for identification, but for the status of the visit. The Hebrew literally says, So how did it go? How did it go? I mean, Naomi's the one that sent her. Naomi's the one that gave her the idea, told her what to do. She comes home. How did it go? And as she arrives, she tells all that Boaz had done for her. Yeah. Mama, he's agreed. We got him. We got him. Verse 17, and he said, these six measures of barley he gave, to me, he gave he me, for he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. One, comment, one commentator I read after stated, the fullness of the grain pledge points to the fullness of Boaz's promise. So it was like, this was a, this was a pledge. This is, okay, I'm going to take care of you, and here's my pledge to do it. 
Then number five, and lastly, the patience. You know, at the end of the day, what do you have to do, young folks? At the end of the day, what do you have to do? When you've done all that you can do, when you've done all that God expects you to do, when you've done all that you think God wants you to do, at the end of the day, what do you have to do? Sleep. Wait. 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 That's part, probably the toughest part. Toughest part in life is waiting. Being patient. Verse 18. Then she said, sit still, my daughter. Let's just, let's just be patient. Let's just sit still. Until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. Boaz isn't going to delay. Just wait here. Just stand still. Let's see what happens. He's a man of character. He's not going to let this thing just ride out. He's not going to hesitate on this. He's going to take care of this. And we'll see how things play out by the end of the day. Just wait. You know, Ruth and Boaz were willing to risk reputation and possible scandal for the sake of a Redeemer. They were willing to risk everything in order for the sake, for the sake of a Redeemer. And it kind of begs the question, what are we willing to risk for our Redeemer? Many evangelicals suffer from what theologian Francis Schaeffer called our guilty silence. You know, never mind putting our reputations on the line for the sake of our Redeemer. Many evangelicals are not even, being willing, are not even willing to be called odd by their friends over coffee for proclaiming Christ. What are, we willing to, what are we willing to risk for Christ? How many people could we reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we, like Ruth, would take a personal risk with the gospel? The story of Ruth and Boaz, folks, is not a story of your typical Hollywood kind of love story. It's not a story of boy meets girl. You know, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not the Hallmark Channel. Sorry, you Hallmark Channel lovers, you. It's not the Hallmark Channel. You know, the old Hallmark story, all of them got the same plot, don't they, Kevin? I'm sure, you, I'm sure Raynell has made you watch hours of, of, Holly, of Hallmark. Okay? And every one of them, don't they, Rebecca? Every one of them got the same plot. Boy meets girl, right? Girl gets mad at boy. Runs back home. Boy realizes he's a big fat doofus and then goes after girl. That's, that's about it. That's about it. That was, that was my love story with my wife, except that was in reverse. She was the doofus. <laughs> She's probably on her way up the stairs now. No, seriously, it's not a it's not your typical kind of love story. Boy meets girl and then they continue in a lifetime of kisses that with live view from this romantic haze. Because marriage is tough, isn't it? Marriage is hard. The commitment that Ruth and Boaz had to one another was not based upon physical attraction. 
Boaz being somewhere, like I said, somewhere between 20 and 30 years older than Ruth. But their attraction and their commitment to one another was based upon a common character. What makes the story of Ruth, so, of Ruth and Boaz so wonderful is not only is it a story that points to as, as Boaz bought Ruth, Christ buys us, but it's also a wonderful story of two people from diametrically opposing ends of, of the spiritual spectrum. You've got an Israelite and a Moabite pagan woman who gets saved and comes together by the sovereign grace of God and they share a common character. They have a common match. And it's not so much a love match, but it's based upon a much greater foundation than that. Because Ruth and Boaz did not love each other because they found each other extremely attractive. Although they probably did. But the basis of their relationship was character and not looks. Boaz respected Ruth. And he was committed to her. And their love was based upon the character of God in them. Relationships do not need to be based upon attraction physically. They certainly do not need to be the pace based upon physical practice. I would imagine, as I stand here before you tonight, I would imagine that the quickest way, now he, you correct me if I'm wrong after church, Brian, but I would imagine that probably the quickest way for a young man to have two broken hands and a broken face is for him to do something physical with his teenage daughter when she is of age to have a young suitor call on her. Now, I'm really using old language now, aren't I, Kevin? Because that tells you all you need to know about that young man. Tells you all you need to know. One time is a mistake. If you survive it from the dad. But I warn young people all the time, and I warn parents all the time, that these relationships that you have, they don't need to be physical relationships. If that's what they're based upon, then they're based upon a shady, uh, uh, shallow foundation that will crumble and fall. They don't, they don't need to be based upon beauty. Although it's, it's nothing wrong with a girl being pretty. I've never told boys to go out and find you the ugliest girl you can and marry her. But that does not need to be the base, does it? Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 30 tells us that. It says, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. What should, be the what should be the foundation of a relationship? What was the foundation of the relationship of Ruth and Boaz? The fear of the Lord. And that's what makes the story of Ruth and Boaz so beautiful, is that it was the fear of the Lord that was the basis of, this, of, this, of the relationship. And that's what needs to be the base of relationships today, the fear of the Lord. 
Many times young people talk about what they're looking for in a spouse. Charm and outward beauty are generally the non-negotiables. But because that wasn't the attitude with Ruth and Boaz, it was easy for Ruth to heed Naomi's advice. Now we wait. Now we wait. You know, these girls I, I don't need to be quite so quick, do they? Parents. They don't need to be quite so quick to think that they, I, I, got, to have me a, I got to have me a man. Now we wait. I'll never forget one time. I'm going to embarrass her. I'll never forget one time. Raynell came up to me. We were, we were downstairs. Or maybe we were at your house. I don't remember. I don't, I don't know which. And uh, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm trying to lay, I'm trying to lay a point here, all right? Reno came up to me. I think we were downstairs. Or she did it. Knowing her, she probably did it on both locations. But she came to me. She says, Pastor, <laughs> I got to have me a man. I got to find me a husband. Well, Probably. Let's pray about it and see what God does, right? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't give her the web address to some dating sites. I didn't, give her, I didn't give her the profile name of some buddies I had on Facebook. We pray and wait. Now, God was good to Raynell. God didn't make Raynell wait that long. But sometimes he does. But what they need to be willing to do is wait. Wasn't that Ruth? That, that was Naomi's advice to Ruth in verse 18. Let's wait. Don't be hasty. Wait. Because the real story, the real love story of Ruth and Boaz is the love behind the scenes. It was the love that was willing to wait until God cleared the way. And it's the same love that God has for a straying sheep, isn't it? It's the kind of love that doesn't let us go. That will not, that will not stop in pursuing His sheep until He brings them to redemption. It's the kind of love, folks, that's based upon the character of God. Not because we're so attractive or so lovable. We were made dead in sin. But, we were, but because of the character of the love of God, He redeemed us. And because of Boaz's character, he re, He's going to redeem Ruth. And it's a beautiful story of Christ and His church. Christ and His people. Because as Ruth redeemed, bought, or Boaz redeemed, bought Ruth, Jesus Christ in His substitutionary work at Calvary bought us. Redeemed us. 
Naomi's advice to Ruth, now we wait. Now we wait and we see what happens. Well, I don't know about you folks, but I am eternally grateful for the character of the love of God and that he pursued me until he found me because I certainly, certainly wasn't looking for him. I was running the other way. And he pursued me and he found me and he redeemed me. And I'm eternally grateful for that. And what we're going to see is that Boaz doesn't let this go. He goes out the very day to get this thing wrapped up. And at the end of the story, Ruth and Boaz, God was so in tune to bringing these two people together because it was through the lineage of Ruth and Boaz came Obed, came David, came Jesus Christ. And the beautiful end of the story is that Jesus Christ is from the line and the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. Two people that should never, from a spiritual perspective alone, should never come together. A pagan woman worshiping a pagan God through sovereign providential means gets together with an Israelite that loves the Lord Jehovah. And they have children or a child together that leads to the birth of Jesus Christ. And at the foundation of all of this was the character of the love of God. And that is the character that every one of us should be trying to display to one another, the character of the love of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for the clear testimony of your love for us throughout this book. We praise you. We thank you, Father, for redemption. We praise you, Father, for the majesty and the might of your power to save. And Father, as Boaz tirelessly pursued Ruth, you tirelessly pursued us and redeemed us of the blood of Christ. And we are eternally grateful. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the exposition of the Word of God was a spiritual blessing to you. Again, for more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on Facebook at EBC Mineral. Our Lord's Day services are 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning and 6.30 Sunday evening. We also have a Wednesday evening service at 6.30. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that God's divine truth would be proclaimed always from the cross, through the church, and to the world until Christ come. 
And now from all of us here at Emmanuel Baptist Church and Divine Truth, thank you so much for listening and please stay tuned for further episodes. God bless you.